It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Yeah, baby, this week's starring special guest star, Mr. Michael Crock. Yeah! All the way from the beautiful United Kingdom. And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Welcome to yeah, the big show. thanks for having me. <laughs> Don't you feel really special now? I you got, love you got it. The There's full the band. famous machine. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that's right. You've actually watched episodes. Yeah. Um, come on in a little. All right. Uh, let me get the chat open. Where did they go? There they are. Hi, chatters. Um, on occasion, I've had guests on the show that have not seen uh, an episode. And when I bring out the band and start playing the music and do the applause, the look on their face is just like, what the hell am I doing this for? The shock is really hysterical. <laughs> so uh, Michael and I have never actually met in person until about a half an hour ago. But we video chatted some time ago, and uh, he has been running listings with Taxi. He's one of several UK libraries that runs listings with us. Um, and he spends a lot of time in the US, so we're really tickled pink. He actually came all the way up from San Diego to do the show today, so grateful for that. Hey, no problem, nice to be here. Um, what we're going to do today is we are going to listen to a bunch of music and get Michael's feedback. Um, I also want to mention the fact that um, Bria will post a link at some point, maybe now. Um, he's got a great course, and I actually watched a bunch of the videos for the course, so I do want to plug it, and it's called Music for Income. I got that right? Yeah. yeah. Yay. I got an A. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of people with a lot of courses out there right now. It, it's uh, a little bit of an epidemic of the number of courses, but... I said to him before I would mention it that I wanted to watch some of it, and, and I did watch it, and I went, wow. Uh, it, it's not just good information, but it's presented well, and it's in a logical order, and it, it, you'll get a, a taste for who he is, and when you see who he is and how he speaks and how he looks at stuff today, that'll give you an indication about how good the course is. And so there you go. Um, so how long have you... You've been a composer for quite a number of years, right? Mm. And have a bunch of stuff in other people's libraries before you started your own and mm. all that kind of stuff. Um, what got you into doing TV and film music and did you do record stuff before that or something? Or? Yeah, so I was a, a freelance drummer in the yeah. UK. I came out of school at like about 19 and went straight into that. And uh, I had a, great, I mean, I, I managed to tick off a bunch of things I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, you know, play drums on a track and hear it on the radio. I wanted to do something on a, uh, you know, a record that sold uh, on platinum status. And so I did these things, which was amazing. And you accomplished them. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I know. It was great. And a bucket list that actually was achieved. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not dead or anything. Right. <laughs> Good <laughs> right, for you. Right. So I, I got to the point where, um, I, you know, I loved, and I still do some of the drumming thing, but I was like, I want to do something. I want to do something else. And I'd always like writing. You know, I always had like, little ideas. I had an old uh, Korg 01WFD. Do you remember yeah. those? <laughs> yes. And they had the little sequencer on and it had this screen about this big and you had to go through like five, <laughs> six menus. To, to, you know. so I remember I, it well. I had one of those and I always liked writing, but I used, to, I used to write like little chunks of ideas. So I'd have these little old school discs that would go in and, and it wouldn't be fully fledged songs. It would be little bits of ideas. And I remember speaking to some people who were like, oh, maybe you should look at 
TV music because you can get a germ of an idea and just, you know, I love that. that. A germ of an idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so I started looking into that and then eventually got a. I I started trying to pitch for a few TV shows through some people I knew. Didn't get anything um, for years. And then eventually got a documentary about horses. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So I got asked to write the music for a documentary about horses. And- so uh, did you score it top to bottom? Yeah. Or just incidental stuff? I mean, you did the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. And the funny thing about that is that I kind of felt like you, you don't want to tell someone, oh, this is the first documentary right. that I've ever written. Like Everyone's <laughs> got to have their first time, right? But, yeah. So uh, I remember the lady was speaking to me on the phone. And she was like, yes, and we're going to go into the, the offline edit on this day. And I was like frantically Wikipedia-ing <laughs> these terms. What's offline? What is that? And I was like, okay, oh, fine. Um, but I was really lucky. I had an editor. I had a picture editor who, who guided me through it. And it was my first introduction to you know, really working to picture with someone who was putting the picture first yeah. and, and what the music should do and shouldn't do. And, and it was a real education. Um, and then from there, did a, just compose a whole bunch of shows, documentaries, uh, Natural History Unit, who do all the uh, Blue Planet 2 and Planet Earth stuff. So I don't right. do those because that's Hans Zimmer's guys. Um, but the kind of smaller ones of those I do. Um, started up the music library uh, with a friend. Um, and then it's just been a mixture of library tracks the music library itself so being on both sides of the coin it's quite right. interesting and still doing the custom scoring jobs what give me a couple of good examples of things that are different when you're working creating music to picture and then creating music kind of offline that eventually will um, have to work with picture but you never get to see the picture what what are some of the observations right this is a really good question I mean, one of the reasons that I like writing music not to picture is I think that if you're someone who really likes a lot of freedom within your writing, you can you can get that, and you can also work within, I guess contrary to that as well, but you can work within certain structures. So you know, I believe, that certain structures are going to work, say, for library music, mm-hmm. right? Because they tend to, which maybe we'll talk, we'll talk about it more in a bit, but they'll tend to follow an arc that a TV show will use. So you'll kind of go, if, if you know, you're watching enough TV shows, you start seeing these little repeated, you know, arcs. And if you're just kind of following those, then editors are going to find that really usable. I think it's somewhat easier um, than writing songs because they're just less moving parts and you don't have to create a lyric if you're doing instrumental stuff, which saves a, a ton of effort and a ton of time recording a vocal, getting a good performance recording backgrounds, all the extra mixing time. So I'm a huge fan of instrumentals. And the word arc really didn't enter my lexicon until two or three years ago when I personally started really observing everything incoming. I don't know if you guys can hear the helicopter going over. Anyway, I uh, all of a sudden found myself watching TV and saying the word arc over and over again. And now my poor wife has to suffer through it with me. <laughs> you know, she could really care less, but she's begun to care because she works here now. Um, but yeah, ARC is, is so much. So I, I want to talk about what an ARC is and what it's expected to do at some length in a little while. So continue yeah. on, sorry, yeah. I waylaid you there. No, no, it's, it's such a good point. I mean, I think that's one of the, the things I like about writing not to picture is is you know it's kind of just seeing that arc and then just being free around it a bit to picture is so interesting i mean there's i would say it feels like there's some more constraints 
there um, you're usually dealing with temp music as well which um, I think you speak to any composer is like people are very opinionated on it and I understand that if like a blessing if it's a blessing and a curse um, explain what temp music is because not everybody watching the show will be experienced enough that they run into that sure okay so basically what's gonna happen if I'm composing for say a BBC documentary um, I will start getting in little chunks of footage they'll they'll say maybe give me a little two-minute sequence or five-minute sequence that they're happy with and they'll usually cut it to music because it gives them an idea of pacing and what they're looking for and who's throwing the temp music in is it the editor or the director who makes the call as to what type of music goes in? yeah can be either can be the director okay. or the editor but you'll find that the the busier they get in the production schedule the director's going to have other things that he needs to do so as it goes on, he's going to be saying to the editor, and they usually work together. This is like Batman and Robin teams that kind of right. go around these different productions. So the, the editor will be left to you know, find some music to cut to. Now, they might do anything. I mean, the, the copyright issue doesn't come into play because it's just very much an internal use thing. Right. Right? So they'll be pulling anything from some of their favorite library tracks to... I would get a lot of things from the last documentary off the Interstellar uh, soundtrack, you know, whatever's the latest thing. Right. So they'll they'll cut to that music, and that will be called temp music, temporary music. It's not meant to stay on there, but it's meant to give you an idea of what they're looking for. So are they, in fact, um, implying, inferring, or demanding, you know, we want it to sound like Interstellar, or is it more about, is it texturally... Um, you know, we want to be spacious and have that texture, or are they saying kind of emulate that without ripping it off? Right. It can be any one of those. And I okay. think that the art of it, I've found over the years, is trying to find out what it is they like about it. But more importantly than that, and this is such a, I wish I was told this at the beginning of okay. starting things, <laughs> trying to figure out sometimes what it is that they don't like about it. Because they won't always like everything and there's right. there's certain things that most of the time work so usually like the the tempo won't be off it's very unlikely that they're going to want a, you know a fast paced thing and put something slow so you know that tempo is pretty much going to be spot on but there'll be other situations where you know especially if you're you're you think the temp works well so you do something similar to it with your own style on there and they're kind of going it's not working it's you know maybe can we change this and and sometimes they won't know, they might not be musical, won't, in won't know what it is that's a problem. And then you might, it might take you weeks to find out that it was the bells. You know, the, the, the soundtrack had the little top bells on, you were like, oh, they want magical. They want that right. little bells. Your ear went for that, but actually what they liked was just the pacing and, and these big drums under it. That's interesting. You see? So it's trying to figure out what they do like and what they don't. Now that doesn't mean that every single cue you go to them and kind of go, can you fill in this questionnaire? Of what you do? There's no time for that, obviously. <laughs> right. But if you're hitting a wall... Get another composer. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But if, if you're hitting a wall, I think it's as productive a conversation to ask them what it is that they don't like about the temp will give you so many answers as opposed to what they do like. Both valid questions, but I've just found that that is one that people don't ask much. So, in a given documentary, 90-minute um, TV doc, let's say, or two hours, what, whatever length of time it is, um, is there sort of, I, I realize some are going to have more music, some are going to have less, but is there sort of an average number of cues that a composer would have to write for a documentary? You know, is it 
10, 20, 50. So, I mean, what's typical for me is I the last few I've done have been series, which have been three one-hour episodes. Okay. And I've done around 40 minutes for each one. Wow, that's a lot of music. Yeah. Not quite wall-to-wall, but it's two-thirds of a show. Yeah, it can be quite a lot. Now, bear in mind, there'll be some reusage within that. Right. So you'll, you'll write a couple of tracks that they'll really like, um, say for for episode one. Say you're doing episode one and then two's gonna come hot on its heels and three. So what will happen is some of those cues from episode one will go to the team who are making episode two and then they can put some of their favorites onto their show, which so is it, really useful. It's a little bit of brand, almost sonic branding in a sense. You've written something that they like enough that really gets glued onto the identity of the show so they carry it throughout. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then by the time you get to episode three, the ideal is that you're getting less temp music because you've written this much stuff for episode one, you've written a bit more for two, and now one and two can go on to three. So that's your job does get easier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as you'll find a lot of composers saying that, it's the first few you're trying to trying to work out thematically what works, you're trying to work out the sound and such like and so that's interesting. Um, at what do you ever have conflicts in the early stages? Let's say episode one, and the director has gotten busy enough that he or she is trusting the editor to put in the temp music, and you're following that cue, no pun intended, uh, following that lead, and you've created stuff that the editor likes. Yeah, you know, uh, the director will like that, and the uh, director hears it, goes, "No, this is not at all what I wanted." How do you not have a meltdown because you're going back to the drawing board at that point? Yeah, there was a there's a story that happened just like this two years ago for me. We had a the program which was on PBS recently called uh, Wonders of Mexico, and um, but it came out great, really really good. But the lady who was the director for the first episode. Um, went down a, a route, how, how she saw her program, and then they have commission of viewings, so they'll take the program in and the BBC and PBS will watch it late in the day. And we, we did this really nice, it was about like the forests of Mexico, we did this like very nice um, nature type of thing. And the commissioners wanted vibrant, they'd sold, the, the BBC had sold the program to PBS on like, uh. it's a vibrant Mexico thing. And, and episode one out of the blocks was this tender, lovely, you know, <laughs> nature thing. And and she was, I mean, she's such a great director. She was so calm about it. She phoned up and she just said, look, we made a great program. We now need to go back and make a different program <laughs> of wow. the same thing. And I think what you, you got to remember in that is about being a team player and I, of course, there was part of me on the phone that just kind of, there was a small part of me that wanted to go, but I've just written like 20 minutes of 40 minutes of, and we're going to bin off. Do you get paid to go back and do, and do this new stuff because it wasn't your fault? Um, no. Okay, so, so your workload just doubled for the same amount of money. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but I think the way to think about it is, you know, whatever a pain in the backside is for you, and it is a pain in the backside, she's got... She's got to go back and make not just changes to the music, she's got to make a change to the pro. Like, however hard your life is now, her life is harder. And also, it is about being a team. It is about being a team player. And, you know, and, and I think 
it, I actually, in a masochistic way, relish those moments because <laughs> those are the moments when, without sounding too businessy about it, you're kind of securing your future work or not with that person. I was gonna go there because yeah, now she's gonna say that guy is a team player. Yeah, he bailed me out. He didn't come back and ask for more money. Um, and, and he rose to the occasion. Yeah, you're going to get the call for the next thing that that director does. Right, and they, right. they don't forget. But it's like anything, whether it's music or not. You know, like somebody really helps you out when you're in a jam. You don't forget about that. Hopefully, yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you're any, if, as you know, uh, if you're a mensch, somebody. Yeah. 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 So, so you, you guys have that word over in the UK. Yeah. Mench. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So, so sometimes you know, sometimes it happens, and it's not. It's certainly not all plain sailing, and it. it it can be tricky. I remember hearing a great Danny Elfman quote that sometimes I think of in those situations where he said, uh, when he's scoring a film, he said, I love the beginning bit when I get a phone call and the world's my oyster and I'm walking down to the grocery store thinking of all the amazing <laughs> ideas I could do. And I love the end bit when we have the rap party and it's all done and stuff. And he said, and the bit in the middle can just be a struggle. You know? <laughs> and it, I mean, I'm sure like everybody watching this has experienced those things as well. You know, you, you can end up with such a, a piece of music that you're proud of but but to some pieces just come out and some pieces you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall for days but they still sound good i don't necessarily think right. you know it, it it means like every great piece of music has to be written in in inspirationally in three minutes sometimes it's a grind um i, w I won't speak of which i want to start listening to some music which we will momentarily um but isn't it hard uh to push down that, that creative side of yourself where you, you see the picture, you hear a vision, and you so badly want to do what you know in your heart, in your mind, and, and your musical soul will sound great. And it's a better idea in your mind than, what the, than the vision of the director or the editor might have. Um, how do you train yourself to work for them and not for your musical soul? Mm. Yeah, another good question. I think you you develop a, a relationship with them and you try and suss out who they are and what the program is as to how much you can take risks with them. Because, so the short answer is sometimes I send two cues. Hmm. Sometimes if I'm, if I'm watching and I'm like, like, it's rare with these kind of filmmakers that I'll ever look at it and go, oh, you've got that completely wrong. Like I, I kind of will see the angle they're coming from, but a lot of it is point of view that's what makes something interesting you know it's like you could go in I mean see you had a, a drama sequence right and you've got two characters uh, you know you've, you've got so many angles you've got music that you could go in his point of view her point of view you know something about the surroundings point of view um, a lot of say the documentaries can be you could go on an, on an angle of um, location you know mm -hmm. maybe it's set in a certain place you might want to thread that in so you know, if you really feel that there's an angle that they should be portraying, um, if you've got time, is to write two cues. Or what I will do is spend a lot of time on what they want and then just get a four bar or eight bar segment, like a little teaser, and go, you know, and then and then word the emails to kind of go, okay, so I've done what you wanted, that's cool. Just as a curveball, what do you think about going in on this? Would You know, do you want that or not? And, you know, I'd say don't spend too much time on it. Right, because you're gambling at that point. You are gambling. <laughs> but when you get those right, it's great. I, I did a documentary um, uh, about giraffes in Africa. And um, 
the director said to me at the beginning, he said, I don't want any African voices. Hmm. No idea why. I, 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 he just was so forthright about it. I didn't want to kind of go, well, why not? But I just went, okay, it's fine. And of course we have one queue and nothing's working, nothing's working, nothing's working. And it was like three o'clock in the morning and I've got this like kind of voices patch out. I don't know why, like the rebellious schoolboy in me just wanted to. <laughs> and it worked. And, and there's this moment of joy that something worked and the horrible realization that I was going to have to right. <laughs> say to him, you know. But I did, you know, it's about your wording then and, and just saying to them and, and saying. Remember like, how many people love the Lion King. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you want. That's what you want. But, you know, and again, knowing the people you're working with, he was he was a really nice guy, very open to ideas. And I just kind of went, look, I just just saying, you know, maybe. And he went for it. He went for it. Good. Yeah, yeah. Sign of a good director. Yes, I think so. Yeah, he worked for the project, not for his own ego. And and I think you've just hit the nail on the head in terms of what you need to do as a composer. Right. I think if the decisions that you make and the music that you offer up, you can justify about why it's in the best interest of the, the story and the project, as opposed to you wanted to get your chops in there, you, you know, or, or, or some ego musical yeah. reason, then, then you're always going to be barking up they might not accept it, but they'll appreciate it. You know, I, I will get, we will get to the music momentarily, I promise. But um, it, it's not, I, I think that being a successful composer is not necessarily being a, brilliance isn't chops. Brilliance is knowing what works best in the scene. Absolutely. And sometimes that could literally just be a note. It could just be, you know, a whole note on a piano with lots of reverb, but it texturally fits in the scene. Nobody's going to watch that movie and go, I'm going to, you know, I love that guy's composition, other than guys like us, because I do sit right. in movie theaters going, yeah. the score is awesome. Yeah, My too, wife yeah. is like, shut up and listen <laughs> to the dialogue. They're kissing, you know. Right. Um, but... Yeah, it's about doing the right thing for the project and the scene at all times. And that's got to be hard because you, sometimes you have to push down what is coming out of you like a volcano. And I tell you what, it's brave to do one or two notes. It's brave because what when, you, when you're writing and you're a bit nervous if it's an early project and you want to just do a great job for them, you just want to do a great job, your inclination is going to be to overproduce, yeah. to put too much in. It always is. And the, the, the confidence to strip stuff back, I mean, it, you know, what that will do for you, it will let a cue breathe. It will, you know, it, it, it will really tear down whether your nugget of an idea was good because a lot of the time, I've done it myself. You know, I still find myself doing it sometimes. I'm like, if I've got a lot of tracks open, for a cue that's not like a titles theme or something that's obviously big, I've got to start asking myself, am, am, I, am I hiding behind the production here? Have I got like a, a semi-weak idea that I'm trying to you know, plaster over a little or bit? Or you're being a genius and letting the scene breathe. Right, and some of the best cues, sometimes I've got four tracks, five tracks. You know, if I were a composer, everything would sound like this. Oh, uh, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? If we had a scene about loss, it would sound like that. If it was a scene about love, it would sound like that. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's listen to some music. Yep. Uh, the rules of the game here. Oh, yes, Bria's kicking me under the table saying, hold that up. There you go. Subscribe to our channel. Like us. Share it. Even if you don't have friends, share it with strangers. Just share, share, share. Uh, Sonny and share. And then...
don't forget to hit that little bell thing up there in the upper right hand corner because that will let you know when alerts come out to you know like when the next show is coming up so we don't mention the name of the of the composer that submitted this stuff we're going to listen to um songs and uh instrumentals um so we just mentioned the the, the name of the the piece okay um so there you go we're going to listen uh a lot of these are quite long so we'll probably listen to like 90 seconds of each and then we'll give some comments and move on to the next one then we'll come back and chit chat some more so first one we're going to listen to is called in your eyes Yes, Jimmy Carvalho, this is a new mic, but it just shows how long it's been since you've watched the show because we've had this mic for about three months, dude. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. At least you showed up today. Um, so what you think? I like it. I wrote a few things down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what you wrote down. I feel bad as well because I feel like, I, should I look at you guys? Do I look at my... I'm just going to look uh, anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. It, it's fine. Um, so <laughs> you can look at them. You can look yeah, at them. Yeah. It's right. all good. Too many things to look at. Um, <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. I I, th I think there's some really nice production in there as well. I think the vocals recorded really nicely. Um, I love that percussion coming in in the second verse. Mm -hmm. I really understated. Um, and the BV's second verse are nice. The cello sounds lovely. It breathes really well. I wonder if it might be worth, and this is so an icing on the cake thing, it might be worth considering blending a really nice intimate female vocal mm. in at some points in that because I think that his voice and a, and a, a breathy female voice right. just in the odd phrase would just give you little chills I, I think that's a great idea you know I like it the yeah. producer in me likes that a lot and I think the lyrics would lend itself to that if you 
cherry pick those moments yep. to, to emphasize it. Right, and don't go crazy. Like, um, too much of a good thing can be too much of a good thing. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it might be worth a, I would be tempted to get someone who had that voice, get them to record the whole song and then sit and chop it up afterwards right. perhaps and try and figure out which bits work. But I think that would, it, I mean, it's lovely as it is, but I think it might just give you that little you know, uh, many years ago, uh, Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees and Barbara Streisand uh, did a project, and uh, that's what they did was they recorded both of them all the way through. Right. Could you imagine having to call Barbara Streisand back in, in the control room to go, okay, now we only brought you in on the third line of the verse for this <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that was called In Your Eyes. Excellent job. Uh, let's good. move on now to an instrumental. Let's listen to one called Enchanted Garden. Should I go? <laughs> you should go. This yeah. is, yeah, you're the guest. Um, oh, okay. First of all, I'm super polite. But second of all, I'm more interested in what you've got to say. Um, I made some notes in this one. I want to see if your thoughts yeah. line up with mine just for my own ego. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, I thought it was nice. I think, I think the, I like the genre. I think it's really usable because it reminds me of that. When the bells and stuff come in, it's, it, it takes me to that, like, kind of almost Tim Burton esque. Edward Scissorhands type things. I mean, perhaps it would need to be a little bit more minor for that. Not saying that it should be, but right. for that usage. 
But um, but that the amount of time, especially I get in documentaries, so many people are like, kind of, oh, can we have that Tim Burke? Can we have that like magical? <laughs> so I mean, that that vibe was really nailed. And what I'm about to say takes into account that I, I thought overall it was really nice. Um, I think that maybe if we go back to the beginning on the, the, those nice string swells where they come up and down, I would milk even more of those. I would mm. take that velocity down to almost nothing each time because um, it kind of what, what we on like one two seven usually on on volume and stuff it felt it felt like it was working in the range of about 40 to one two seven so we're saying if we were going zero to one two seven zero nothing on one two seven the volume okay i should have done that out of 100 why didn't i do it out of 100 <laughs> let's say percentages right. start again okay so say we, the, the strings felt like they were going from 30 percent volume to like 80% volume and what I'm saying is take it down to, to like barely anything it would be really nice to have those moments they didn't sound all that realistic probably because the velocity didn't mimic what real players would do exactly right yeah, yeah. and I think that would help I also think before the piano comes in at that section um, I'll be tempted to really give it a slight like rubato feel to be like kind of that what I mean by that, they're like kind of almost out of time. It, it felt like it was done to click, mm. which was okay and it worked. I would love to hear what it would be like if that was kind of just done free and allowed to breathe just a little at the end of each one of those swells and just give it that maybe a little bit of extra magic. The only other thing I'd say as well is I think when the piano comes in first and it's very quiet and soft, again, I would... I felt like it was played in a little bit loudly and you'll get a different sound out of the piano even if it's samples if you're barely touching it and then crank that volume up and I think that again yeah. it's a great piece but just to give it that extra little bit of magic if it would play again this is a real um, Hans Zimmer technique ripoff thing to do is is you know he loves playing so many instruments at the softest softest right. level and then cranking that up and and I I'm a big fan personally of that effect anyway. But I mean in this I think it'd be super appropriate, super quiet. I I thought compositionally the composer like wow that's nice. Yeah. Um and it it I could think of plenty of uses for it. Um I had the same feeling though that it was fifteen percent off the mark just because the execution just needed to be taken up a notch and, and the suggestions you're making are great. Um, I, I will give it big props on the title, um, Secret Garden. This absolutely sounded like a secret garden. Encha is it Enchanted Garden? Or Enchanted Encha Garden, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, great title. Perfect. Yeah, and let's talk about titles for a minute because you own a library. Um, I'm always making the point that if an editor is given a bin full of music uh, in the context, let's say, of a reality show, and they've got two people that are walking on a beach together having a little romantic moment, and um, you know, one piece is called uh, Zany's Tune, and the next piece is called uh, Friday Afternoon, and the next piece is called Hand in Hand, and the next piece is called uh, Love at First Beach. That's the one you're gonna go for mm -hmm. because it's telling you what you should be hearing. So I think the fact that this was called Enchanted Garden I kind of knew what it was going to sound like. Not exactly, of course, but you know, you knew the ballpark it was going to be in. So this would get chosen, or at least have a shot at being one of the finalists, just because of the title. Yeah, and and, and yeah. we'll 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 go into maybe this after the um, some more of these tracks. But when I was 
spending a, the, the year or two getting the Music for Income course together and I, I interviewed three like award-winning editors. These go like top of their game. And all three of them, the importance of titles to, it was crazy. You know, they're flipping down these lists so quick, pages and pages and pages in music libraries. And it's, it's all the title that's gonna get you clicked yeah. on or not clicked on. And the beauty with titles is you can reverse engineer them, of course, is you don't need to <laughs> right. have the title and write, you can write and then pick the title. But yeah, Enchanted Garden, perfect, perfect title. And if, if someone was looking for Enchanted Garden, they'd be very happy with what they got with that. Absolutely. Um, I, I had a thumbs down on the mix. Not that it was horrible, but it just, it didn't really come together. It's like the components were there. Um, and I think that um, altering the velocity and stuff and, and using the things that you suggested, uh, it's not necessarily uh, a case of fader up or fader down. It was more about the way it was played, the textural um, aspects of it. It just felt like it was 15% off. Mm. But overall, a really good piece. Yeah, really good. And uh, uh, something I, I wrote, uh, it was compression question mark on here because I, I, mm. I think that there was a piano. bit, yeah, there was a compression on the piano um, and I, I, I don't think there was any need for it because I think the piece was so nice and the piano could be, you wanted to get maximum emotion out of the piano, not punch out right. of the piano. Yeah, it's on uh, um, Elton John record. <laughs> right, right. And that, but there's a really interesting point because I think for so many of us, compression becomes a, a, a go-to. And if you're doing an orchestral thing like this, I think, it, it, again, great piece, and it, it just could have that extra 10 15% by taking that compression off and really letting it grow. I used to uh, record. I, I was really good at three things as an engineer. I, I I don't know if you even know, but I used to be an engineer and, and worked at you know fairly high levels, and uh, also had the privilege to do orchestral stuff, rock stuff, and um, weird stuff like a, a record for. I've done some jazz, but some guys playing Middle Eastern music. I did a full album with them once. So I had a broad range of experiences as an engineer. And one of the things that I suggest to people that are using pianos in a box, as I affectionately call them, is they sound really good. You listen to it go, wow, that sounds like a Steinway. It sounds like a Bosendorfer. But they still sound like they're coming down a wire to me. And I've suggested to people that they play them into a pair of monitors out in a room and re-mic them from a few feet away to add the air back in. Now, I'm sure that the engineers who are recording this beautiful, you know, nine-foot Bosendorfer know to take a microphone and back it off the strings. Of course, it depends on the type of sound they're going for, the octave and all that stuff. But... Um, more often than not, when I hear a piano that is coming from a sample library, it, I just want some air in the room. Mm -hmm. So try that. You'll mm -hmm. like it. Definitely. Uh, and this was a case of piano that could have used that. I agree. Um, okay, let, let us listen to a song now. This one's called Beyond the Horizon. <laughs> Stay. We could find it 
place for you and me The ground beneath our feet Just beyond everything we know There's a place we can find it Hand in hand into the great unknown Taking in familiar ways One more breeze, one more day Taking with memories The time we spent Things we couldn't say There's a place on the horizon We could stay Find it a place for you and me, the crown beneath our feet, just beyond everything we know. There's a place we could find. All right, that was Beyond the Horizon, and what say you, Mr. Crook? I'm really impressed. Yeah. Yeah. After all these years of getting music from our members, it was shocking <laughs> you something good came through. <laughs> I loved it. I really liked it. It. I tell you why. I, I had my TV music for TV hat on uh-huh. when I was listening to it. So other than just liking it as a song, um, the things that I think music supervisors are going to like about that, I think the lyric could be really useful for TV stuff. Um, and work very well I think that the space in the melody I really liked as well I think the voice was spot on for the track yeah. that's so hard sometimes right I mean finding the right I mean I'm sure you've had the situations where you've got vocalists in who were like really great but if it's not right for the track and especially working as a solo composer or songwriter working out of a home studio you know back in my day the I was at Westlake Studios in Hollywood the other day I had the privilege of sitting at the console well not the console that Michael Jackson's Thriller was recorded on but in the actual control room and the studio where they recorded Thriller and a bunch of other Michael Jackson stuff and I was talking to them about when you're in a facility like that with multiple rooms and all these different producers and engineers and musicians all milling about, um, you become friends and you trade ideas and you bounce ideas off of each other. Whereas most of the folks watching the show and our members are largely isolated. So if you don't like the sound of your vocal texture on a song, you're a little bit screwed. I mean, you can use other taxi members if you've networked well and stuff, but you're at somewhat of a disadvantage. So this person either chose the right vocalist or was the right vocalist. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Really yeah. spot on. As yeah, you say. isn't it? And just it glued. And it's so lovely when that happens, right? The track and the yeah. vocal just fit each other perfectly. It, for me, it's subjective, but it had that slight Ed Sheeran, something mm-hmm. Ed Sheeran going on there. And obviously, like, if something sounds a bit Ed Sheeran, it's going to be in, in your favor, I think, at the moment. Yeah, as yeah. long as it's not to Ed Sheeran right just enough to make yeah yeah I completely agree so yeah I mean I I was very impressed what do you think uh I I 
everything you said, I agree with. The only thought that I had of anything I would change was it sounded like it needed the introduction of another instrument in the second verse when it came in. I would have waited like four bars or something and, and just brought a hint of something else in. Could have been a double on the guitar, could have been a cello, but the cello would have been cliche, but it would have been appropriate at the same time. Um, and, oh, there was this thing in the background, mm -hmm. really faint, which good on you for keeping it that low. And I was wondering, um, I used to love doing, uh, my era in the studio was before we had any samples. Uh, so everything had to be done by hand. And we would take a table like this and put 10 people at it with drumsticks to get a sound or people walking on a floor. And that sounded to me like a pair of styrof or uh, foam rubber flip-flops just being <laughs> yeah. just gently tapped on a surface and it works so beautifully <laughs> yeah it really does and I think especially for those kind of things and, and if for anybody I would say as well who's not got into this I found so a little trick in my back pocket that I love so much is found percussion mm -hmm. and you can get um, really nice sample packs of found percussion now and it's it's so interesting and they'll have weird stuff in there like some completely unusable things like someone's like taking a sample of the Xerox, you know, right. copy or something, you'll just be like, when am I ever going to use that? But there's some sounds that just with a little bit of reverb and a little bit, and because we we kind of like, I didn't know what that was. Yeah, in the I background. didn't. No, but I, I was sitting here trying really hard to figure it out. And yeah, I couldn't. But, but it was really nice for the track. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, kudos for that. But I think if anyone who wants to get those kind of things going on, checking out some found percussion stuff can be really interesting. It just gives your track this interesting backdrop but it doesn't this is what i think is great about it it doesn't push it in any cliche direction because right. people can't really identify what it is they're hearing it's just interesting i always tell people they want more of the same the industry tends to want more of the same but a little bit different mm -hmm. and push the envelope by a factor of 10 or 15 percent and you'll be different enough if you're too different then you're too different to use and if you're too much the same well we've been there we've done it we've heard it so that was a really good execution of adding something in that made it 10 or 15 percent different and the level in the mix like yeah. you say so nice just perfect just right yeah yeah i, I, I yeah i can't really say good. enough good stuff about the level that that was at um let's listen to another um instrumental one this one is called oh here here's um a good example of a title that you should never um, give a, submit to a library or anybody. Uh, the title is FB3-1, Happy Dancing Feet. Happy Dancing Feet, that's a title. FB3-1, not a good way to title something when you send it off to the industry. Uh, that said, let's listen to the music. <laughs> Oh, 
Quick on the draw, wasn't I? <laughs> All right, what are your thoughts on that one? Well, I'm interested in what the the brief is or the genre in this one. And my assumption would be um, would be like a kind of playful, almost uh, kids' uh, TV yeah. thing. I, uh, I don't know. Well, now that you're spending a lot of time here in the States, and maybe you guys have the show in the UK as well, but all these shows about kittens and puppies, uh, I forget what it's called, but th this would be great for kittens chasing a ball of yarn. Right. You know. Right. Uh, I, but I don't know. What do you... Um, happy. <laughs> um, emotionally upbeat. I mean, those are all descriptors, but what is the genre? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, nice. I could see it on that on that yeah kind of fun frivolous fun uh you know family yeah viewing kind of thing right america's funniest uh videos you know yeah. kid in the backyard whacking his dad in the crotch with a wiffle bat which, this would be perfect <laughs> for that there's a lot of that comedic yeah, yeah. We, we, we really need uh yes americans apparently need no nah, i won't even get it <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there. Somebody will be offended if I say it. So there you go. I've saved you from being offended today. Um, the the synth part, the thing in the beginning was a little like off-putting. It mm. was, the part was okay. And the sound wasn't even so bad. But the level it was at was just like yeah jarring yeah it was quite full on wasn't it yes <laughs> I, I like the little hook i still remember it like, dun, 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 yeah dun. I, i've still got that in my head that's a good thing i i liked putting stops in for for usage like if editors are cutting with it that's going to be useful to them i don't know if it needed as many as it as it did but I think putting a few in is definitely, I mean, that's just a, well, again, if it's a library angle, I think having stops is so useful for editors. They love it because mm -hmm. they can just, you know, pop that in there. Um, I did think that maybe there could be a little bit of more light and shade in some sections, um, maybe dropping it down a little bit so that there's a almost a sound bed under dialogue. Um, right part to it again this is personal personal thing i kind of think that it's a great track it'd be great to just take some of those lead instruments off and just have it rumbling away for a bit so that you could easily have someone talking over it and then bringing it when it came up. into the second half it had more bottom end on it mm -hmm. um excuse me i had the same thought where i i would have introduced just just maybe the kick bass and snare um or maybe kick bass snare and some sort of pad for the first eight bars of that um, because you're right, that, that could have easily been looped. Um, at this year's Road Rally, we've got a woman who last year just knocked it so far out of the park. She, she's what I would call a triple A rated video editor, um, mostly does reality shows, certainly capable of doing much more. Um, and she's also, she started out in the industry as a story editor. So she sees her editing job as moving the story forward very much so and treats music that way. And she made that point uh, last year's presentation. I'm bringing her back this year to start the entire weekend because she was so good. And she talks about um, 
sometimes it's best to just get out of the way. And we're talking about stems, I believe. And she said, sometimes the most useful stems are the ones with the least stuff in them. Yeah, and sure. that would, a classic case of that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and and I mean, there's enough, there's enough usable, repeatable material going on there to have a section that's that's very different. I think that there was points where, I'm trying to say, I, I, I don't think it needed to, to repeat itself again because an editor could take that and loop it mm -hmm. and that would be fine. So yeah, the, the need for some contrast for me in there would have been really useful. That's one of the reasons I'm having her start out the entire weekend at the rally this year is because if people understand how editors work and how they think, that will inform how composers compose because you're talking like a very experienced composer now, realizing that you don't need to have eight or 16 bars of something that could very well be four bars and just be looped by the editor. You're, you're thinking from their seat. Yeah, and that's, a, and that's a, in large part, you know, like I say, in interviewing those editors for the, for the course. I mean, I, I knew that it was important, but when, when I was just, you know, hearing them say in the interviews about how it's all about um, options for them, you know, mm -hmm. it's all about trying to build that scene and, and, and exactly what you're saying. That if that, I think if that starts driving your composition process, you're winning. Yeah. Straight away. Because nobody else knows it. As a matter of fact, uh, Bria, can you post the link to the course again? Because I did actually watch one of the segments um, that had an editor, and I remember thinking, yes, the, <laughs> this is so awesome. Because when you, un when you put yourself in the shoes of the end user, you're going to gonna create music that's more usable by the end user right tell you something just a quick tangent that, that i found out of all of them that was really interesting as well was that they'll like we said look at the title they'll go in they'll play the first few bits of it and then the next thing they will jump to immediately the end yeah because they want to see if the end resolves in a way that's usable for them. And then they'll go back and they'll actually scan the waveform looking to see if like the middle section is bigger looking, then they'll scoot up to that and go, okay, I want to come in with the drum turnaround at the beginning to bring it in and then smack into the big stuff and then resolve to the button ending or the, the stinger and we're out. Exactly, yeah. and, and that whole thing about a lot of library tracks, like we said, having gaps, what was you really useful about this dancing feet track was those those gaps that right. we put in is that if if you can have a track where there's a, a stop in the middle that is different to the end and there's a little bit of daylight you've just given them two endings That's in great point in one track yeah right and so if they don't happen to like that ending you can use that ending the only thing i would say and something as well that came out of the the course thing is and this is a, a point a bone of contention but i would argue if you're writing for library don't use key changes right because you, you're screwing Makes, up the that, yeah you can't edit stuff from the second half to the first half because right. you're an octave off right right um let's talk about edit points for a minute or as you call them stops um we we actually mentioned that a lot of our listings will say you know um having great edit points is a plus or something to that effect some people take that very literally to mean that there should be like you know a whole beat rest there some daylight um, and, and so they will overuse that, those stops and a lot of daylight will show up. Um, how do you know what the balance is as a composer? Uh, 
should my edit points just be, you know, a, a kick drum that's pretty obvious uh, and easy to cut on? Um, how often would you, as a composer writing for libraries, advise having full stops in there with, like, a, you know, a, a you know, a whole note rest or something? Some of it's genre dependent. Mm. I think. I mean, like, the 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 trailer formula would nearly always put a, 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 some some clear air. Yeah. In, into the middle of it, right? How many times you go and see trailers and it stops and then it just all kicks off right. afterwards, right? Um, so if it was that, yeah, I probably I probably would stick that, stick that in the whole time. I mean, like much as we said, having... To go back to that thing we said about two endings. Okay, so if you were looking at it like that, yes, I guess it would be useful to have the, the, you know, nothing going on there at all. But that's not the only way to do it. And if, it, you know, sometimes if you're bridging that gap or you've got, just got like a nice little um, sometimes I'll just go to like a sustained string note uh, mm. after an end and that just gives them something now again that gives you an option that the end doesn't give you so so there are different ways I think to do it but certainly you're right like it doesn't have to be formulaic it, it's just I think if you're thinking is coming from a place of providing options and a lot of libraries nowadays are working with stems anyway so you know, it, there's there's room for for editors to get in there even more and, and cut. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. And an observation I've made is that probably sixty percent of editors are musicians uh, of mm -hmm. varying levels. Forty percent aren't musicians and they don't speak the vernacular. They don't use the lexicon of music, so they can't say, "Hmm, I really should find something with a bunch of minor." stuff in it because that you know connotates sadness or depression or whatever um they just think in terms i need something sad mm -hmm. so it's i i don't know where i was going with that other than to say that the people who are using your music won't always think in musical terms they'll think in emotion um or or what they need almost utilitarian what they needed to accomplish so if you as a composer can second guess them and get that in there, whether they can think in musical terms or not, you're ahead of the game. For sure. And I'm really liking those fingers right. today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's listen to a song, and this one is called We're Friends. Check on you too. 
go ahead finish the thought like, oh, that's <laughs> <wrong>. <laughs> I need to... I, i've got a question for you if um somebody put out a brief that said we're looking for something in a jack johnson vibe clearly this is in a jack johnson vibe is it too close just close enough uh, where's that line of what a great question what a great question i'm going to be completely honest and say i don't know Okay. I, d I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I get, yeah, Jack Johnson, Jason Mraz, though, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, if I was, listen, if it was me, if I was on a show and I needed those kind of tracks, I would take that one. It's, it doesn't rip off any of their songs. No. Um, it's definitely in the style or vibe of. Um, the vocal approach is very much like uh, both those gents. Um, so, yeah. I, I would probably, it's one of those songs that if you heard it, if you're sitting in a theater and you hear it, you're going to go, I don't remember that Jack Johnson song ever being on the radio. Right. <laughs> you know, right. It, it sounds like it should have been. Yeah. But it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts? Um, I liked it a lot. Is that, I would say, is that a British voice? I was sitting there going, is that a British folk? That's just an aside. I'm like, yeah, British voice. <laughs> um, we can't tell over here. Right, just no, so you know, I, I, I couldn't tell the spits. I was like, oh, maybe it's not. Um, there's, there's a lot of things I like about it. Like you say, I think the vibe spot on. Again, I think it's a, another example of where the vocal m m meets the Man. genre really nicely. Perfectly. Yeah, and that's just so hard to do and, and nailed it. Um, okay, so a couple of points. And again, subjective because mm. I like... I like the piece a lot. Um, so I would really love to hear what it's like if for the first verse, up until the vocal, I, I've written down uh, the vocal uh, the, when we mix it up, which I think was like the, the just before the chorus and that. Um, if it would have just started with the uke, with the uke or whatever was going on there, because we had that the, the little tiny strummy guitar, and then we had another guitar underneath, which is really nice production-wise. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if it would have been nice to just be brave, take that second guitar out, go for that real Hawaiian sparse vocal, the little percussion going on, and just that one guitar, and then bring the the second guitar in as another layer mm -hmm. later on. So again, you've got this concept of building right. the arc. Yeah, the <laughs> arc again, right? And, and we're not talking Noah's arc. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I just feel that I think if the track works, which I think it would with that pulled out, it would still sound great and, and would breathe even more from the beginning. Brilliant. And it gives you another gear shift to go in just before you get to that chorus. Um, also, after that breakdown where the drums came back in yeah oh what a nice moment. i'm such a big fan of drums coming in in a slightly unusual place it just came back in with the vocal i can't remember where it was now but i remember writing down it just wasn't what i was expecting and it just really nice i re i had a different drum epiphany um coming it's probably i don't remember where it was many 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 years ago <laughs> Like 35 years ago, I had the privilege of working with Eric Clapton when he discovered two guys on the beach behind his house in the Bahamas named Tom and Don, and he brought them to the studio, and he was co-producing with Tom Dowder, one of the famous producers of the day, and they had a song, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, everybody went to lunch, and Tommy Dowd, who's you know one of the five greatest, maybe one of the three greatest record producers in history, um, said to me, do you want to learn how to take a, a good song and make it a great song with nobody here, 
but your hands and yourself? I said, yeah, sure. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. There was a drum turn. There was a four-count drum roll. A he said, that is coming out of the bridge going into the last chorus. He said, the song would capture your attention much quicker if that were at the very front. We started the song with that. So I want you to roll down there, grab it from out of there, and, and move it up to the head of the song. I immediately started sweating bullets, like the, the movie um, Airplane with the pilot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally just like sweating bullets. My hands are shaking. I'm like, eh, 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 rocking the tape back and forth over the head. He's like, come on already. You can always put it back together if you screw it up. <laughs> but I finally successfully moved that drum turn to the beginning of the song, and it went from being a pretty good song to an incredibly good song because of that thing that he noticed. There was a spot in here where I had the same thought, where the drum turn should be moved. It would be more effective there than it was there. Right. Anyway, so right. we both picked up on the drums, which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah. Hello. Oh, it's Jack so, Johnson. No. Jack Johnson's lawyers. <laughs> it's one of my sisters, and I thought that I had turned my phone off. I had not. Anyway. <laughs> Hello, Wendy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I thought, I, I just, I think my big takeout with that, and I really, really liked it, is just I would like to hear a really sparse beginning where it was just very chilled out and then bring in those secondary guitars in as layers later on. I think yeah. give it a little bit of magic. He brought the whole gang to the party too soon. Maybe a little. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was pretty darn cool. I had a question that I'd written down before you actually came to the show today, which is... Um, Something I saw on your website, Insider Tips Directly Through. Uh, what is it that editors always look for when choosing tracks for film and TV? Wow. Uh, or, or was that a range of things? I mean, I saw this on your website and I went, okay, I can think of about five of them and we've probably talked about most of them. Is there something else that editors look for that we haven't mentioned today that's like some secret? So from, from what I found when I was interviewing them was track title which we covered was super important they're then going to try the beginning they're going to go straight to the end mm -hmm. um, and check that works like you said waveform is going to be super important and a lot of them liked that talking about having a little bit of an edit point you know in the track so that that, that waveform hang up going this way kind of goes up and almost has a little bit of a dip and then, yeah. then off again um, so that arc side of it and and there was also things about alternate versions and trying to make sure that they have options there. Um, there's a really, really good point that um, David, one of the editors I interviewed, uh, spoke about voiceover. And it's just some really interesting considerations. This isn't now an essential thing, but it, it was the, the concept of get, knowing the frequencies of the typical male or female you know, range um, and there's, I've, I've put up on the website, there's a, some free lessons that, that you can get just by typing in your email. You get these three free lessons from the course. And in the first lesson, you'll hear him talk about this. Um, and, and just trying to experiment with leaving a gap in that frequency range. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of going above, experimenting with instruments above it and instruments below it. And it's really interesting. You know, you'd be surprised. The track, when I was experimenting with it, I was like, it doesn't actually sound like it's lacking. Like you'd assume, oh, well, hang on, there's this big pocket of mid-range here when nothing's right. going on. Not necessarily. And I would say 
that an interesting thing to do if you're writing for for some TV shows uh, that are going to have voiceover on them in terms of library music. Sometimes it's not a bad idea to just have um, an an audio track of a male voice speaking and a female voice speaking, and just dropping it into your tracks and just see, see, how, it see how it sits. And is there that's an instrument that's suggestion. clashing? Because if you've got like a guitar that's clashing, just try something else, or or try something in the higher register or a lower register or, or whatever you know. And it's the same thing they talk about with melodic ideas, you know, of um. Of, of just being a little careful with melody. They sometimes like melodic options, but melody can be dangerous, especially if done in a long form. So I would say again, if you're if you're using um, if you're writing library music, personally, I think like short melodic ideas mm -hmm. uh, are more adaptable, let's say, than longer ones. Doesn't mean longer one couldn't work, but I just think you're giving them more options to get it out quickly. Otherwise, they're trying to get rid of your melody in the middle of a phrase. And right. you know, again, we're going back to editors, right? Pretty Especially sort of. if it's a legato melody and you just can't cut in the middle of it without it sounding stupid. Mm -hmm. It makes the, the edit more obvious, way more obvious. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend named Hookman who is a hit songwriter, hit producer, um, and, and he's famous for writing great hooks. And uh, he... We were at some convention, I think the Hawaii Songwriters thing, two or three years ago, and they had songwriters playing songs of theirs that ended up getting cut and, and became hits. And one of his songs, he, I can't remember, he wrote it for somebody, it could have been Beyonce, somebody really big. And, and whoever that artist is, female artist, she passed on it. And he was just devastated. It's like, why did she pass on it? And then somebody else said to him, you know, it's just the song's not in the right key. It, it, it's a happy song, but the key is too low to be happy. And so he actually changed the key of the song, and the next artist they played it for, it's like, I want that on my record. And, and when he played them back to back in the room, it was so obvious that just changing the key, taking it up a third or a fifth or whatever it was, was like, wow, that just made that thing so much more usable. So I, I would... Um, posit that the, the same thing is true for library tracks. Think about if your whole thing is like, you know, in a middle octave in the key of A, and that happens to be in that uh, frequency range that voices are in, just drop it down. And it doesn't mean, of course, that you can't write anything that on right. an EQ spectrum <laughs> right. goes into yeah. that, like, obviously. But I mean, I, I think it's about activity as well. Mm -hmm. So. You know, if something's going to grab the ear because it's it's got a little percussive thing, or, or it's just ear catching, having ear catching stuff in the frequency ranges of voiceover is a little dangerous. Maybe, again, maybe you want to put that somewhere else, or you know, the concept of of drones. So many music libraries love tracks that've got some kind of drone as part of its background, and so go high with your drone, or go low with your drone, or right. go, go home. No, but, <laughs> or, or go, but you know, again, you know, maybe just be careful to keep it out of the activity range of voiceovers. Uh, the Vice, the Vice TV shows, and the Viceland Network have done so much for drones because they use them so well on so many of their shows, and and a lot of them are just basically almost atonal. Uh, it's just like one note that just lays there, but it, it's almost like room tone, like an air conditioner or the motor of a car running or something. It, it's just enough 
to fill the background in a way that doesn't conflict and adds a certain level of like makes you sweat a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I love drones. Yeah, me too. I'm a big drone fan. <laughs> um, okay, let us listen to an instrumental. This one is called Canyonlands. I really like the vibe. I like that. I like again straight away. We know what it is coming yeah. out of the traps is great, um, and I think that's really good. Good um, title, by the way. Good title, definitely. I really. I tell you what was great that I can't work out whether it's a whistle or a voice. At one point, I was like, "Is that a whistle? Is that?" A, but I, I don't mind not knowing. It was great that that kind of was very like Ennio Morricone yeah. thing going through. Um, <laughs> definitely. With, I with, mean, the yeah the. I don't want to call it a ripoff, but it was certainly inspired by his sound. Yeah, for sure. So I think with this, this is great. I think it can be really, really, really good um, with just some tinkering with the layers of things. Again, it was another track for me that kind of gave away the goods quite too soon at Mm -hmm. the beginning. And if we go back to put our editor hats on, I, as an editor, want more options. If I was sitting there from an editor perspective, I'd be sitting there like, okay, I got it, I love the vibe, it's cool, and I got more of the same, but I, I, I couldn't get my fingers into the mud and chop it up and get loads of, of elements out of it unless I went to the stems and did it myself, and I haven't got that much time because I'm busy, busy in an edit suite, so I'm probably gonna go on to the next thing. Time is of the essence, absolutely. Right, So, so for me, I would say, maybe going back to that, and just construct it, like build it, add the layers. You got there's enough layers in there 
to you know to get something going on with with the with the guitars hold back the 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 nice whistle voice thing that i really liked is so nice and so vibey and effective make me wait for it a little bit yeah you know it, it was pretty pervasive it, it was there all the time almost and uh going back to your point about uh I, no, I won't say it. That was an, an ungentlemanlike way to say this, but um, the the kick and the bass were really well. Um, the relationship between them was near perfect, if not perfect, and, and that would be a great example of boom, 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 boom. That would have been that section you're looking for. That was like a piece, uh, you know, a stem that would have been very usable. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, but yeah, it, it was basically, okay, all faders up almost from the beginning and just let it ride. Yeah. And it didn't have an arc. Right. It didn't have an arc as far as the arrangement of the writing. It didn't have an arc as far as the arrangement of the production, but the basic piece was there. So you're right. It, it wouldn't take a lot to take it from good to great. Yeah. And I mean, that's it's such a great point you make. So if, if we get that, the little, just the drums and the bass together. Now, again, if you're an editor and, and that track's building up, let's say, you know, we've got the shot of like the, you know, um, of the desert and we've got the hill and out of the haze has come as the, the cowboy, <laughs> you know, and all this kind of thing. Now that bass and drums, you know, I might, I might eke out 20 seconds before I need the other stuff. That's a nice chunk of 20 seconds performing royalty, thank you very much. Yeah. Because uh, you're, you're giving the ability to stretch that track out for as long as possible, which you want, you know, and make, obviously for the editor, it's, it's adaptable too. So. Hmm. But it's great. There's so many ingredients in there that I think you can just build those layers up, and and it would be it'd be great. And then build. It's almost we came in at seventy five percent point or something yeah. like that, and then really hit it off with the with the whistle or voice. You know, so, sorry, my ears don't know which one it is, but I kind of like that. I don't know um, which one it is. And then you've got <laughs> something special in there. You've really got something that that gives editors loads of options. So I think it's that track has got the potential to be be really really awesome with a little bit of not for nothing it's a little bit of a tangent but um there's a new show that i think premiered in june on the paramount network and it's called yellowstone with kevin costner mm -hmm. it's basically kevin costner in in dallas it's a family drama set on the biggest ranch in the state of montana and the acting is good the story is good there's a lot of like holy crap i can't believe they they did that moments and it's really interesting to watch how they use music in a Western, but in a today setting. Right. It was, you know, I, I actually didn't see who the music soup was on it, but I remember thinking, good challenge, because you want to be authentic to the Western. The, the Western theme is so intense in the whole show. I mean, it's just all about... Um, being in Montana, being a cowboy, they actually go out and herd cows and they have fistfights in the, the barnyard, all that stuff. But it's today. You know, then they get in their, you know, $30,000 pickup truck and drive away, which they <laughs> did, didn't do back in the day. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. And I, I think as well what, what you can do with those. I did a, 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 another BBC documentary actually uh, about the Wild West. And um, I had a lot of fun because the, uh, the one of the producers on the show um, gave me access to this uh, like sound library there, this like BBC sound library of, of, of 
Wild West sounds. <laughs> and, and of course, like the first thing I'm thinking when, because he's like, wouldn't it? But he's a really, really sweet guy. I love this guy so much. But he was like, wouldn't it be great if we could incorporate some Wild West sounds in? So I'm like, okay. And you start playing with them. First of all, like you've got like a. The whip crack. The, the whip crack. Like, <laughs> and, and you listen to it after a while and you're like, oh, this is so cliche. But what I ended up doing, which I was really happy with the result of, is, is if you can mesh them together. Almost like we were talking about that found percussion thing we said yeah. like about 30 minutes ago where your ear can't quite distinguish what's going on. If you can get those sounds and you can affect them, so like maybe filter them, you know, frequency-wise. Combine the whip crack with a cymbal and right. put it where the cymbal would be. Yeah. Exactly. And do it in such a way that it's not an in-your-face audience knows it's a, a whip crack because obviously then you're going to sound design and you're in really dangerous territory because mm -hmm. they're like, if we want a whip crack, We'll put one in, thank you very much. We don't want you to do it from the music. But if you blend it, like you said, now you get this really interesting back notes yeah. of, of it, something. It's recent. changing at 10 or 15%. Right. And maybe that, like you say, on the little drums and bass thing, you know, if that was used effectively, and it's dangerous. I mean, it's like adding cayenne pepper, you know, to right. it. you don't want to put too much of that in there. You just ruined everything. But that might just be another little idea. Too, yeah. You know? I love it. Um, I'm enjoying having you as a guest on this I'm show. loving this. Uh, let's listen to a song. This one is called Emerald Eyes.
got to say, when this one started out, I thought, wow, continuing on this kind of country-esque Western theme with Stevie Nicks joining the band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the production on this, right? The instruments. Yeah. Just really, I mean, nicely recorded. Really nicely recorded. And, and the parts, I mean, I don't know who's, who's produced it, but they've just done a lovely job. Uh, well, on that, there you go. Yeah. Um, no, I can't say. You that. can't say. Yeah, but whoever you are, well done. Like that. <laughs> Mystery guest. I mean, just just radio ready. As far as I'm concerned, I thought it was great. And 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 a couple of little touches that I really enjoyed. And what I thought was particularly effective in the chorus, the way that the tambourine and the like banjo was went into double time. Yeah. But nothing else did. Yep. And it just gave you this nice feeling of, oh, something's bubbling. And, I, I had know? the same exact thought. It's like, wow, good move. Yeah. yeah. It was noticeable, but not obtrusive. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Really, really nice. So I loved all that. I, I can't make my mind up in terms of the fit with the vocal and the song. I, I like her voice and I like the song. And I'm not saying doesn't work but I, I it, for me it wasn't as much of a gel as the other uh, couple of songs that we heard but again s really subjective really subjective that's you know that's just a mic uh, a take on it as opposed to any definite thing I, I was influenced by the fact that she sounded so much like Stevie Nicks that I was expecting, well, if the vocal sounds that much like her, then the rest of the record should sound like her. And it really was more like an early Eagles, like Desperado era, era Eagles thing. Um, and then somewhere in the lyric, it went, it had Gypsy in there. And I went, okay, clearly this person is a Stevie Nicks fan, but make up your mind. Are you the Eagles? Are you Stevie Nicks? But the, again, being overly subjective uh, and, and probably too critical. The average listener or an editor trying to place this in something is never going to give it the amount of analysis that we are. Yeah. And listen, I tell you what, like, what a compliment that what we're sitting here and debating is like <laughs> some kind of subjective, you know, like what I'm kind of saying is would I, you know, if I was hearing it on the radio and what I think, but I'm, I'm not, I've, I've not got anything else to say really about that it. That dress looks stunning on her, but the sequins might look better in purple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, what a great point that we're sitting here talking about subjective stuff that is just that, it's just subjective. Yep. So take it in the spirit which, which it has been given, which is we liked it. Good job. Uh, let's listen now to an instrumental called Deeply Inspired. Yet another good title. Thank you. 
the track. Interesting. Hmm. I like the carefree, playful vibe again. So, so I'm putting my music library hat on, and I'm thinking if I was sat here and and this track uh, came in from Taxi, um, so I would be thinking about to, towards a, a kids application. Mm-hmm. For me personally, that's where my head would be with that. Um, let's talk about MIDI sounds and stuff and samples a little bit. Um, so there are certain genres where I think lend themselves a little bit more to not worrying too much about live instruments and and one of those you could argue is is like kids tv that's part of its sound and its charm you could argue um i think though that in this i would have liked some live elements in there um and 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 then perhaps other parts could have worked around it and and also i think this is an example of um it sounded quite quantized mm-hmm. a lot of the parts the percussion and the guitars and stuff um so i think for a start maybe maybe experiment with no quantize if you're brave or 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 you should find on most DAWs you've got the a quantize setting right and and i think there's a lot of composers don't think to use that, it's either like we're quantized to the grid, right, or, or we're, we're freehand, you know. But but changing that down to about seventy or eighty percent can can be interesting as well sometimes. So, I would say, for me, it was quite heavily quantized, and maybe get some live instruments in there as well. The guitar, I would like to hear, perhaps a live guitar, um, and loosen up some quantizing, especially on the shaker and stuff, and then maybe just let it breathe a little bit yeah just one live instrument that is played by hand on top of stuff that's obviously quantized really goes a long way to solve that problem Uh, at the end I I gotta admit and I please don't be offended by this but I wasn't loving that track I'm going okay you know what actually the the honest thought that I had was this person is well on their way to getting it right but they're finding their feet when I heard that track and then when it got to the end I turned to you and went no there's the track all of a sudden when it was all stripped down um, and had some more room to breathe that felt like the track that it should have been there was just too much there was 10 pounds of stuff in a five pound bag in the beginning right at the end it was like oh that works and it was you know at 90% right versus 50% right in the beginning yeah just an observation yeah also i'd be interested in a version of it that had a a kind of chilled approach to it um because you've got that little dun, 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 dun. and it'd be interesting to hear that on guitar with just like a a, a live shaker in there on on just like eighths or something mm-hmm. and and hear a version of it done in that way i mean it might not work it might t- ruin the, the the vibe that there is completely but that would be another interesting angle but definitely get some live instruments in there for me personally Um, we're actually believe it or not the show was over three minutes ago but we are still broadcasting (laughs) Um, this is going by so quickly Um, 
do you have anything that you want to talk about that we haven't touched on? And, and while we're while you're thinking about that, Bria, can you post a link again to his, his course? Yeah, and it's in the description as well. Oh, okay, great. I heard a great quote that I wrote down yesterday that I thought was really, really interesting. Um, um, and I think it applies to all of us, and it certainly applies to, to some of the stuff I've, I've been doing. Um, and it sounds a bit harsh, but it was, if you're not where you want to be, you've just not got quite good enough yet. And I think it's, it's, it's really interesting because I was um, talking to someone the other day about niching down in terms of, of what you do and, and trying to pick one genre that you're good in, but that you really enjoy, and just really go and, and do your homework in that genre and, and analyze a bunch of music that you like and try and figure out what it is that makes that really work and try and incorporate it into your tracks. And, and just coming from a library perspective, we just love it when somebody's like, nailed a genre for us and we're not too concerned about them being good at a load of things we love go-to guys and girls i can think of like a guy now who's like um actually came from a taxi listing um who when i think about rock stuff in our library i think of this guy's name great straight away uh, i never met him i don't know who he is but but he's like he's studied his rock stuff He's looked at the ingredients, he, he's worked on it, and he's got it down. And we got a bunch of rock stuff from him, and um, I'm, I wrote to him actually on email, we were having an exchange, and I was like, look man, I hope you're, from a composer to composer, I hope you're taking your stuff around to other libraries. Not the tracks you gave us, because they were, <laughs> 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 but, but you know, I, I hope that you're, that you're taking that around. And, and the doors are opening for that guy, and was I think, his name Keith? Uh, no, but I think I... You know, yeah, no, Keith, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also yeah. great at rock. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that, uh, just uh, uh, if I could give a piece of advice on that personally, from, from that music library background, is just, it's so worth the time to just get a genre that you like, analyze a whole lot of tracks, figure out ingredients that work, niche down a little bit in it, and you will just find doors open. And the more libraries start taking your tracks, the more libraries will start taking your tracks because you can write to them and go, I've got these tracks with BMG and these with Extreme and whatever, you know. Yep. Um, so yeah. Success builds success. Yeah, yeah. That would be my, the, just something that came to mind the other day. It's like if you get really good at one thing, it's amazing. The doors that open is amazing. People often chase somebody else's success. Like if somebody who, uh, I, I use the swampy, uh, I call them alligator killing shows, um, swampy instrumental stuff that's very frequently just an acoustic guitar, maybe a slide dobro, maybe a harmonic on top of it. Um, you take somebody that's really good at that and they hear somebody else, another taxi member, having a lot of success with orchestral, big stuff with, you know, like a, a trailer orchestral with taiko drums and big stops in it. And they go, God, I'll never be that good. I'm, there's so much to learn. It's insurmountable. Dude, just do the swampy alligator killing stuff and become the champion of that because it opens doors, builds relationships. You get faster with your with your DAW, you get faster coming up with ideas, all that stuff. Then move on a year or two down the road. But 
um, what's the phrase? This is very American sounding. Uh, don't leave the dance with the leave the dance with the girl you brung or something okay. like that. You okay. know, uh, right. the thing that you're good at naturally, the the place where you live musically don't feel like you've got to go away, which is, is exactly underscores what you're saying. Um, find your niche, be great at it, build your credibility, and then branch out. Yeah, and just quickly, there's the, a good friend of mine, British guy, who's a, who does ridiculously well with library music, like six-figure you know, income, does great on it. I mean, he can do a lot of stuff, if he was to put his mind to it, but his success is all made off niching down on one thing. He does exceptionally well those little sparse soft piano type mm. things right and th he's then he's gone around and he's it's opened doors with different libraries and then he's um one of the guys I interviewed on the course and he takes apart one of his tracks that he did for bang and olfson got a placement on bang and olfson and he's just he's nailed it he's nailed it now and you just listen and you go great and you know again i guess that's down to does it does it drive him mad? I'm sure he does other things, you, you know, <laughs> writes other pieces of music. But listen, if we're talking about an income perspective, if we're talking about really nice part-time, full-time income, he just churns those things out and he's so good and library's just like, yes, 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 give me more, give me more. We did a thing at the Road Rally about three years ago, I believe, with one of our members who's a certified financial planner. Uh, and we did a 30-year uh, look at income that the first year you make like nothing, the second year maybe $1,000, the third year 2800 the fourth year 3500 then the next year drops back to 1500 Bottom line is you do this and it keeps building over the years. And if you do it for, if you start at 35 years old, do it till you're 65 years old, at a 5% compounded interest rate, assuming that you save, we paid taxes and you saved most of the money, um, but did allow some for new equipment purchases, you will have, I think it was like $1.27 million in the bank at retirement age. And of course, as a musician, you're not gonna retire at 65 and go, well, I'm not making any more library tracks. Right. That's when you're really gonna get busy right? because you've got the time. So I, I, I'm a, a huge, huge, huge a proponent of making income doing what you love, which is making music, which is the course that he's teaching. Yeah. And uh, check it out because I did. And you guys know, I never point you in the direction of anything that I don't personally believe in. So with that, um, thank you so much for coming on the show it's today. It's been a pleasure. I've loved it. I hope it's been uh, of use. Oh, I'm sure it has. And uh, we should talk at dinner tonight because if you're going to be on the West Coast uh, November 1st through the 4th, I, I, you should come to the Road Rally and Definitely. be on the panel and teach a class and all that stuff. Great. Um, don't forget uh, the Road Rally coming up November 1st through the 4th here in beautiful Los Angeles. Share. There. <laughs> yes that and of course subscribe mm -hmm. to our lovely channel um just to let you guys know the road rally we have about 1400 registrants already last year at this time we probably had between three and four hundred registrants what last year it was 700 this time okay so we've got double what we had last year this time um, the hotel is almost sold out I am gonna go speak later this week to another hotel on Century Boulevard for um, overflow but uh, if you haven't signed up for the road rally yet and you want to come which you really should because this is the level of stuff that we teach all weekend long 
um, you got to be there or be square. And I will see you guys next week. Oh, next week, our guest is, speaking of composers, Martin Tishy. Remember last year at the Road Rally, I played that beautiful big orchestral trailer piece that was like a Pirates of the Caribbean inspired thing? That guy is going to be my guest next week, and we are going to talk about big orchestral stuff. With that, I bid you adieu. Michael, thank you once again. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> See you in five minutes at dinner. Bye, you guys.